Hey everyone, welcome to the second episode of the Not Operator podcast, Not a Podcast. Uh, I'm Ryan, I'm here with Kilroy and Michael. Hello. Hello. Uh, so today we've got um, a nice set of topics, uh, as usual, you know, second episode. We've got our three topics. <laughs> two gaming. for two so far. Yeah, two for two. Gaming, tech, and uh, firearms. And um, yeah, so I, I guess this time we'll go over the list of, of what we're thinking at the beginning of the podcast, so if you don't feel like sticking around for all three topics, um, you can jump ahead to uh, to the part you like best. And then in the, the description for the podcast, we'll also include time codes for each of those sections. So um, up for gaming, uh, we're going to be talking about the rumored console mid-cycle refreshes. Um, we've got some E3 game predictions coming um, in tech. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the role that software has played in changing hardware uh, refresh cycles. Uh, we've got some talk about mechanical keyboards. And then for firearms, we've got a couple interesting questions um, that I'm actually going to leave secret until we get there. Um, so yeah, I guess we can just get started. No spoilers. No spoilers, exactly. So or the fact that we don't have a properly written summary. One of the two. Yeah, that's true. So uh, <laughs> quickly to start, what's your tea of the day? I'm actually drinking PG Tips here. It's uh, not exactly much, but far as that goes, it's England's most popular tea, apparently. It's what's written on their box. Okay. Uh, I'm drinking a, a milk oolong here, supposedly from the high mountains of Taiwan, but I can't verify that because the site is not super accurate when it comes to that. I'm drinking strawberry watermelon Gatorade. This episode of Not Up Podcast brought to you by Gatorade. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that's an interesting tea choice. Thank you from the pleb sector. All right, so... Michael, I'll let you take first since we're starting with gaming. Okay. Uh, so in gaming news this week, I wanted to talk about the mid-cycle console refresh that kind of Ryan alluded to earlier. The big news that um, uh, kind of has been rumored for, for now is that uh, there's going to be a new Xbox coming out before kind of like the new iteration. So, so instead of coming out with an entirely new generation, the idea is this is going to be sort of an in-between step exactly yeah so what's what's happening is that uh, kotaku sources at kotaku have uh told us about this project scorpio rumored project scorpio uh which hopefully no. we'll hear more about at e3 but yeah what's that Matt? is is this uh just kind of like in mid-cycle upgrades and you can buy an entirely new console that's going to be new so that fucks literally everyone because whatever games come out after and require the new hardware setup or is this like what they try to do with all the older consoles where it's like, plug in this device and you get extra uh, uh, capacity and uh, stats upgrades? So it's interesting because, you know, PlayStation has the rumored Neo refresh. That's what sort of kicked off this PS4K. whole thing. PS4K. PS4K, PS4.5 or whatever. And what people were saying was that they were going to have requirements for developers to do basically um, a high setting and a low setting for each game, one to run on the legacy hardware and run one to run on the upgraded hardware, which brings us ever closer to the existing PC model, thereby making the whole point of a console kind of useless, in my opinion. Yeah, right. it sounds like kind of a pain for developers, too, to kind of have to scale their games to that level, too. Right, isn't the well, whole incentive for developing for even... console just one set of hardware, one setting for all systems? 
Right, so you're taking away the flat requirement. All you're doing is creating two levels of graphic op graphics optimizations, and as far as that goes, you may as well just make a PC version, backport it to a console. Yeah, or really, I mean, why why would someone be incentivized to buy into the whole console thing in the first place? I mean, the, the whole idea mm -hmm. is standardization. What you see is what you get. Um, no upgradability, no changes. It's a stable platform, um, and there's nothing to tweak, but... If you're removing that, what's what's the point? You might as well get Terra, the PC game. Teraflops. Teraflops. Okay. The right there. Yeah. So the, this they, does kind of bring about. Uh, I mean, for for me, it's reminiscent of what happened with the N64, though. Like with the uh, little cartridges you plugged in that changed how much RAM the damn thing had. And oh yeah, that, I forgot about that. No, it wasn't RAM. Memories. Uh, it was. It, it was how much actual memory you had. I don't think cards. it was. Oh, I, I don't remember what the fuck that little thing was. Rumble, but... rumble packs and memory cards. Yeah, memory cards. There you go. No, 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 the red memory. thing that you plugged into the console itself. There's uh, actually like a RAM thing that you plugged into the front of the console itself, and it changed it from black to red. That was like the actual that. color of the plastic. You can look that up later. Anyway, um, so that changed. It was essentially a RAM upgrade for the N64, and that's what it reminds me of. Mostly because there's no other precedence that I remember in the console market for this. There, and there isn't, yeah. Yeah, it seems like a, a first a first time they're doing this. Although, just quickly you mentioned cartridges. I heard a rumor that the upcoming Nintendo NX will use cartridges rather than um, any sort of CD. Which Nintendo's is kind of, still making uh, hardware? I know, right? I forgot about that too. No one. It's pretty cares. much just new SD cards, right? Yeah, as I look at your Wii U sitting on your desk, you're covered in dust. Well, you know, I haven't played some Smash in a while, but that is my Smash machine. That's the only reason I bought it. <laughs> your Nintendo Smash console? Yeah, exactly. My Nintendo Smash. That's what they should have called it, the Nintendo Smash. Um, quickly back to, uh, you know, original topic of the new Xbox that's supposedly coming. They're talking as something something like six times the... Um, the processing power of the existing console and their goal is to power 4k and potentially vr using the console um it seems like it, it's why why even take this half step isn't it at that point a whole new generation i mean the xbox one came out in 2013 uh this would theoretically be coming out in 2017 that's a four year they're calling it mid-cycle but it seems like they're sort of forcing it into that box. At that point, why not just make an entirely new console with some top-end hardware? That's a good question. That's kind of like what they're basically going to be doing, though, if they're increasing the processing power that much. It's basically a new console without calling it a new console, more or less. Right. I think it's kind of a way that they've been basically losing this console war, in quotations, right? With with Sony, it's just, just, just destroying them. Yeah. PS4 sales. Yeah. Uh, Again, I want to point out those those huge sales numbers are mostly international. In the U.S. market, the Xbox has been much more competitive, and I think had that E3 in 2013 not gone as poorly, um, we might not have seen the PS4 take such an advantage early on, and that whole debacle with physical you know discs versus uh, digital copies. It was really poorly represented by Microsoft, and the fact they walked it back, I think, was actually a mistake. Kind of, yeah, two steps backwards, more or less. Yeah. Uh, which is interesting, though, because Sony's mentioning the Project Neo, right, which is their PS4K. And so that that's the rumors got started with that first before it led to the Xbox rumors of a new console. So this could have been Xbox's chance to really you know, kind of get their, get their uh, feet in the dirt there and stay firm and say that, hey, we're not going to really 
do this. We're, we're going to keep this console. We're going to keep it for a couple of years before switching on to the next cycle. And maybe that could have generated some more goodwill back with some of their customer base. Yeah, because from what I've seen so far is the customers are not happy that they're being told, oh, you're going to have to buy a new version of this console you just bought a year ago. You don't have to, but if you want to play the games on the best-looking console, then you spend a couple hundred dollars more. Right, because otherwise you're going to be second-class citizens with your old hardware. And initially, Microsoft said they weren't going to be doing this. They weren't going to do a mid-cycle right. refresh. So I don't know if it's they're feeling the pressure from Sony... Or they really do have some other idea that we're not thinking of that, that doesn't make this a mid-cycle refresh, but it seems like they're sort of caving to pressure again, um, and I think it's a mistake, honestly. Um, I get that you have to compete, but um, you, you don't want to start marginalizing your existing customer base, you know? Yeah. So interestingly enough, this whole console thing comes up like and what you brought up earlier about the physical media of it, where back in 2013, they were like, hey, we're probably going to go switch to digital downloads and everybody made a giant row about it. The PC market has just kind of quietly disappeared as far as physical media goes from what I'm seeing and hearing from people. Like when's the last time anybody decided I don't want to buy a Steam game, I want to buy something from a store. Yeah, I don't really... Diablo 2. That's what I got. That's what I thought the last physical PC game. Right, and so, like, normally it was the PC people that, uh, like, make the huge deal about, like, oh, I want my physical media, stop trying to, like, hog me over with DRM, and then, well, it just died, and Valve did whatever they felt like. Well, not just that, but it seems like, you know, when when we're installing the games, you know, on our Xboxes... It takes just as long as downloading the game, almost. It's not a quick process, and you still have to load the game on the hard drive. And then if you want to play the game later, you can't just switch. You have to physically yeah. swap As discs. I was talking about the other day, I was like, I don't want to get up now to switch games. Yeah, I'd like to be able to just, you know, hit a button and switch between these games on my digital library that have, you know, the whole game's installed on the Xbox already. So why switch? But um, this whole thing with the, the console, you know having different tiers and whatever reminds me of the whole Steam Machines concept, right? Because that was sort of an effort to to consoleize the PC, right? Bring it to the living room, make it more standardized. Um, and how's that going for Steam Machines so far? Well, not well. From uh, latest figures, they've sold half a million of the Steam controllers, which means way less Steam Machines have actually been sold because they're including ones that have been bundled with Steam Machines, they're including ones that have been sold to people who already have one. They're including controllers that have been sold to people with regular PCs who just want a Steam um, Steam controller. So it sounds like sales have not been going so well. And developers, I mean, I guess indie developers have, have sort of backed it a little bit, but it sounds like most of the AAA studios are really not putting much effort into backing um, the Steam machine, Steam OS project. Why do you think that is, There's, though? Um... I guess really not incentive. No for it. <laughs> right. I mean, the market is still much larger for Windows. I guess it's the same reason that they're, well, one of the reasons they're not supporting Mac OS, you know, other than a hardware restriction. Um, <laughs> but it just doesn't make sense for them, which is interesting because really Valve is the one leading the way on this whole VR thing. But on the regular gaming PC side of things, I mean, of course they have Steam, but their Steam OS initiative to me looks like it's sort of dead in the water at the moment. This is fairly prototypical of Valve, though. They will, like, lead initiatives all the way into the garbage bin. 
most of the time. <laughs> it's like whatever whatever happens, they just tend to throw it at a wall and see what sticks. Like ah, this might work, this might work, that might work. Here, uh, we'll throw some money at it, and none of this works. So <laughs> let's go back to the drawing board. And we are a small developer, so fuck everyone. Yeah, that's true. Well, they've got enough cash to burn that they just don't care. The company's right. what, like a hundred people, and it's worth billions of dollars. It's not bad. I don't and think they're too worried. That's also part of their I- issue, though. Like they work so off of so many contractors, they're like their own hardware lab just comes up with stuff, throws it at somebody, and says, "Make this and see if we can get any money out of it." Yeah. Well, they're just printing money with Steam, so they don't really care. Yeah. All right. But yeah. Sorry. Back the to the uh, Xbox. Oh. Scorpio stuff real quick before we can move on. I just want to mention, so there's two new consoles that are basically in the works according to this article. They're saying that the first console, which will come out potentially later in 2016, is going to be, in quotations, an Xbox Slim, more or less. Okay. So it's going to be basically your console now, but smaller uh, and potentially have two uh, terabyte hard drive, which is double the capacity of the Elite console. Uh, yeah, for everyone that started with an Xbox, what was it, 500 gigabytes? Is and the, the initial one, they so, really should have done that already. It doesn't oh, yeah. cost much more. What's like the like Halo is the game that we're playing now. The file size on our Xbox is probably like at least 80 gigabytes. Yeah, the games are huge. That you really need more space. And that was one of the complaints of the Xbox One when it first came out. Is a 500 gig hard drive is like you're gonna blow right through that. So here's my question to you guys: Then why would you buy this now, knowing that there's gonna be a better model next year? I don't know, I guess the same question would be posed to people who, when the Xbox One came out, they re-released the Xbox 360 with the uh, um, new Xbox One aesthetic. I forget what they called it, but why would anyone buy this new, I think it was $200 at release, why would they buy this $200 360 when the Xbox One had just hit the market? Did they? They sold some of them, I guess. I mean, yeah. well, I mean, there were still people buying stuff like the PS2 Slim and crap like that, too. Right. Yeah, I guess I guess it comes down to... Price yeah, point, there's, right? there's some people say, "Hey, I haven't played all these games for the past, you know, seven years. Um, I'm in no rush to upgrade. Certainly for the difference in price, so I might as well buy the other thing and at least have my fun." Um, yeah, right. I'm, I'm going to reserve well, judgment to to see what comes out before I kind of you know make my angry comments and things like that. But the point of I'm a console gamer. I'm not a PC gamer. The only point for me for having a console is I just like having my said Xbox not to worry about buying more upgrades or other than kind of an external hard drive, but uh, buying a new iteration every couple of years. I, I like just having that console. I can just get my games for it and leave it. I don't have to worry about, you know, updating my drivers or... Yeah, I mean, that's the whole ran. point of the console. Yeah. It's an all-in-one, one-and-done solution. You've just got it there, ready to no go No one disagrees with you. Yeah. Actually, you mentioned Good. the size of Halo on your hard drive was 80 gigs as, like, a standalone game. I think the regular install was maybe around like 50, 40 or 50 or 60 or so. That seems all the, fairly all the updates. large. Updates. That just seems fairly large to me. Yeah, yeah, and there's been constant updates practically monthly since launch too yeah it's, so, it's definitely ballooned in size because of that right but seeing just like the average like pc game that might receive that or whatnot it just seems like they're not really optimizing for disk space size and they're really kind of screwing over console gamers the um, ones that are out of space probably but. depends i mean look pc games now are, are in the 50 gig range something like that they're fairly large but even like with something as like autistic as arma with all its <laughs> upgrades and stuff like that i don't know i'm looking at Whoa, 15,400 megabytes on my C drive? Yeah, I don't know. But, I mean, Arma is not exactly known for its graphics. Uh, you know, the, the textures, I think, are what take up most of the space. All right. Uh, 
Yeah. Anyways, okay, now that we're from Metal Gear Solid about... Five, and that's been getting updates. Okay. But yeah, that's a separate discussion for another day. Yeah. So now that we have the Xbox kind of rumored at E3, maybe talk about what else we think is going to happen at E3. Uh, there are rumors all over the place with maybe Red Dead Redemption Two will be announced. That's maybe. Cool. It seems almost like that's been confirmed at this. Uh, not confirmed. It's it's all but confirmed. Rumors, really. Rumors. Uh, we'll probably see more about Project. Neo, yeah, Sony's trying to excite people for hardware. We'll see this Project Scorpio stuff. Maybe we'll see some of uh, the NX come out. I know Nintendo's trying to increase their presence at E3, which they badly need to do because they have no market share. No one's developing for them. Uh, they're really in a bad. Do situation. you remember the press conference last year? I honestly don't. They it, all it was was <laughs> I think it was it was a uh, it was all like pre-recorded. They just sent in like footage basically, and there were puppets, weren't they? Or was that the year before? I, there were Muppets. Yeah, I, I vaguely remember something about that. It was like a Sesame Street type presentation. Yeah. So maybe we'll see more of that. That'd be oh, pretty cool. No, it would not. I really, They're just gonna go back to making playing cards and pachinko machines. It would make me oh. so happy if they became a software company and just brought Smash to Xbox, and that's it. I don't even care about their other IPs anymore. I'm like so over Nintendo. <laughs> They've done everything in their power to alienate their fan base. They've got no third-party support. Their hardware is years behind. Um, I honestly don't know how they're surviving as a company. Where yeah. where they're getting and the money if these from. new consoles do come out, like the Scorpio, they'll and, be even more. You know, they'll be behind again, right? Yeah, oh. they'll be right after that. I was actually at the mall the other day. Nintendo has teamed up with Vans to release a Nintendo-themed line of shoes and clothing. I and heard there was a guy that. in a Mario suit in there taking pictures. <laughs> Can I plug my 3DS into him? So that... now Nintendo's a merchandising company. Maybe that's where all the revenue. That's, is. I mean, yes, Amiibos. Yeah, that's true. That's that's been their most yeah, successful it's, product. It's late. become very strange. Uh, but anyways, I just want to see if you guys have any kind of out there E3 predictions that you want to make before E3 comes out, which is starting next week actually. So we have a week before out there E3 predictions. So we know there's not going to be an Assassin's Creed this year. They they already announced that they were taking. But a they break. could announce the next one. That's true, but it would seem a little premature after so soon saying, hey, we're going to take a little break. Well, typically, know. they announce games a year before they come out at E3. That's a, true. A teaser of the location. Or I'm still like rooting for a 1940 Shanghai Assassin's Creed. Good luck. But it'd be sweet, but good luck. Sleeping Dogs? <laughs> sleeping, yeah. I, I would love to see a Sleeping Dogs sequel. That would be great. Um, yeah. I don't know. Maybe Microsoft will tease some Halo stuff. I don't... Well, Halo Wars 2. Yeah, we'll see more of that. I'm sure. sure we'll see more of Halo Wars 2. I think it's supposed 2. to be playable at E3, actually. Really? Yeah. I'm super stoked. So I, I loved we'll, Halo we'll Wars We'll get a release 1. date for that, hopefully. I think that'd be a big prediction. I'm I'm really, really excited for that. But, you know, Sierra ceased to exist a number of years ago, so I wonder how the current developers will be able to, to handle making an I remember them having a pretty good RTS. track record. What's that? I, I kind of remember these, these developers having a pretty good track record with RTSs. Oh, okay. So. Well, I hope so. I think an 80s style game was going to come out again, like Far Cry Blood Dragon with the OutRun aesthetic and, you know, a soundtrack by Kavinsky or some crazy shit like that. It's really been in vogue to do that. I mean, Blood Dragon was one of the, the most recent and, and best examples of that, but you've got movies like, uh, what was that, Kung Fu? Kung Fury. Kung, Kung Fury. Fury, thank you. Thank Kung you. Fury, the movie, the game. It was, I mean, it was basically Blood Dragon as a movie, a short movie. I think we're going to start seeing a lot more of that, and we have been seeing that sort of aesthetic for a few years now. Um, yeah, uh, I think that just about wraps it up for our gaming section. I can go uh, now? I'm, <laughs> I wish you wouldn't, but <laughs> you can if you want. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, up to my... I don't know my favorite section, but, you know, my wheelhouse um, in the technology. So, 
I read an interesting article today, and it was talking about how, you know, historically, um, hardware cycles are are consistent. You know, every people on average would get a new computer every four years. Um, you get a new phone every two years. New Xbox every four years. New <laughs> yes, uh, but. Uh, the reason for that is that not only does the hardware get old, but it also gets stale, right? Your software gets outdated, uh, it becomes less powerful, the newer stuff won't run on your old hardware for, for whatever type of device or appliance you have. So you're, you're constantly, you know, the, the make, manufacturers are expecting you to buy new products. And so what this article was saying was a lot of these software companies, they're sort of upending that model by providing con consistent and constant software updates they're actually improving the product over the lifespan. So instead of it getting worse, the longer it exists, it gets better. So the example they gave was like Chromecast. You know, the Chromecast came out, it did have a hardware refresh, but it was kind of minor. Um, they sell it at very low cost because they're not so concerned about making money off of the product. And they're consistently adding applications and things that it can do so that the longer you have a Chromecast, it's better than the day that you got it, you know? And there's not much incentive to upgrade if they come out with a model next year. Even someone who has a first-gen Chromecast, they're not really going to be incentivized to upgrade. Because why? It can basically do all the same things. Um, and so it's sort of creating a, a potential problem for these makers like Apple, who have these high-margin products um, that they expect you to buy every two years. And people are going to say, well, my two- or three-year-old iPhone still does this just fine. Well, iPhone's a bad example. My two- or three-year-old Android phone can do this just fine. Um, why upgrade? Or why should I buy a $700 phone when I can get a $250 phone that does basically the same stuff? Um, so it, it's sort of an interesting dynamic that's that's coming into play here that I, I don't think we've seen historically. And hardware manufacturers are definitely going to have to... It doesn't doesn't make sense from a business perspective at all, right? Definitely not. Why? From the, for the purpose of the hardware. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe this will drive those companies that like Apple to actually work, work on making their software decent. Ha. <laughs> uh, that, that gives them a lot of credit. <laughs> yeah. Well, people, people will vote with their wallets, honestly. Yeah, that's true. But the, the ones who come out as winners and all this are really the software companies. You've got Google who say, oh, well, we're just going to have these software updates coming out. And we're going to use that to direct traffic to our, you know, revenue generators. We're going to send you to YouTube where we make ad money. We're going to send you to, you know, whatever other platform we've got, uh, cloud computing stuff. Amazon can do sort of the same thing. Like, hey, we'll have our own ads in there. Um, uh, the Amazon Echo is a great example of that. The article mentioned that as well, that, you know, they're not necessarily making money on the Echo. But if it helps drive sales of Amazon products, Amazon's making money. They don't care. Yeah, um, it's really the hardware manufacturers that are gonna start struggling with this issue. So the second thing that I was I was thinking about talking about was Computex just ended recently. So there's a lot of new stuff at Computex, but the thing what that is Computex just for ah uh, yeah Computex is a, a huge electronics convention that happens in Taiwan every year. Uh, it's like CES but in Asia. Um, why didn't we go with less air conditioning why, this year? Did you want to pay for it? Sure. Okay, let's go to Taiwan next All year. Right. Goals for next year. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the most interesting things to me, because I'm a big fan of mechanical keyboards, is um, optical keyboard switches. So there's basically two types. Um, one of them is sort of a, a discrete, it works the way a regular mechanical switch does, except as you're basically pressing the key down, there's a light shining through um, the stem 
And when the key goes down, it blocks the light, and that's what registers the key press. So it's, it's sort of designed to emulate like a cherry MX red or black switch where it's a linear feeling thing, but there are less mechanical components. And so you can get a smoother, more durable feel on, on the key switch. Uh, and the other one was sort of an interesting concept where it measures the distance between the light and the top of the keycap. And that way you can measure how far down a key is pressed. And we might start seeing some gamers take advantage of that type of stuff. Uh, you know, gaming companies, I, I'm not exactly sure how they'll incorporate it. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on how that I, uh, could be incorporated into a game. increased rate of carpal tunnel injuries along with <laughs> ocular laser-related injuries. <laughs> people are going to be pulling off their keycaps and staring into the light. Uh, I wouldn't put it past people. <laughs> That's true. I can imagine helping games where a lot of quick actions are useful, right? What's the, the term for, like, your actions per minute or whatever? Oh, yeah, APM. Yeah, but that's in terms of speed of pressing, but the whole, like, measuring how far down the key is pressed, honestly, I don't pay that much attention when I'm typing. I just, I'm usually well, bottoming out on every key press. Yeah, on a keyboard, at least, that's fingers. why I'm saying carpal tunnel injuries, because we'll have keyboards with variable key presses, and you can integrate that like an old analog switch in a video game just to see how far down you need to press to like activate something so you don't bottom out. Yeah, effectively, those mechanical switches and, will be analog. And if you have the N key roller on that, you can do it on multiple points of contact and create ent- uh, almost an entire, you know, a keyboard full of uh, differential switches. My question, though, is what's the use case here? I mean, they're coming out with this stuff, but I haven't seen any any company go, hey, we're going to use that technology to implement such and such feature, you know? Well, it's not mainstream yet. Nobody wants to implement it. But, I mean, if some fringe weirdo indie developer decides they want to do that so you can slam your face against the keyboard and <laughs> get an impression of your face using the keyboard, yeah, go for it. I guess that's true. The premise is interesting, but as, like, someone who appreciates the feel of mechanical key switch... I honestly don't see myself buying either of those keyboards. I don't want to train myself to have to press a key a certain distance. And even for the ones... I mean, I guess if you're a fan of linear switches, the other optical switch is great because it's an even smoother feeling switch and it's likely to be more durable than a Cherry MX switch. But I really... I love my And you could actually... Well, with the other second linear switch, you can actually change the key press distance down to almost like a laptop keyboard distance too. Because it's light based instead of mechanical. That's what I use. A keyboard lap, yeah. Laptop keyboard. Laptop keyboard. I don't really understand the whole appeal of mechanical keyboards as much as you guys, but so, so you have maybe you have strong opinions about this, is what you're totally. saying. Totally, that's true. But well, I mean, here, sample. I, I just I love the sound and the feel of these clicky switches, but I won't I won't you know drown the the podcast and the sounds of my sweet typings. Well, once again, I am that asshole that owns a typewriter, so it's it, it only follows. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Uh, even I don't go that far. I'm not willing to commit to fully analog, you know, 19th century technology. <laughs> hey, it was it was 20th century technology all the way up into the 80s until the personal computer came out. That's true, but you know they had electronic typewriters and stuff. Anyways, I don't want to. I don't want to dive into that. This is the point of podcast where we talk about typewriters. For the <laughs> I'm sure everyone tuning in, all I don't know how many of you will want to hear a lot about typewriter too. Yes, and then we'll all switch the mid-Atlantic accent. <laughs> tune in to tomorrow's. News. Yeah, <laughs> tomorrow's podcast is all about typewriters. Be sure to tune in. Not operator talks typewriters. The sounds of typewriters. Everything you need to know about typewriters. Let's never do that. No, let's, let's not. 
All right, Kilroy, I'll, I'll let you take your your topic now. I think we've uh, sort of right. talked through the tech stuff. Yeah, so what we've got going today was just one of those idle questions that will come up uh, eventually in any you know modern gun discussion. So how what is your floor as far as price goes to where you would be willing to still trust your life to a handgun or a rifle? All right. And, uh, no, go ahead. Go forward. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was I was trying to think like you know if you really want to bottom out, you can get something like a high point pistol, but they're basically trash. I don't. I wouldn't trust it to not explode in my own hand. <laughs> well, that's actually completely contrary. If you've seen some of the tests for some of these YouTube guys, they've hot loaded high points and they actually have not exploded. The high point design—that's <laughs> a high praise right there. It did not. Well, explode the high point design hand. is well. They hot loaded it to the point where any other type of recoil action would have caused it to explode. But the high point is actually just a straight blowback. It has uh, the same characteristics as, like, say, a Makarov. So you're saying that high point is the best design you could possibly get, and why would anyone... I'm saying it's over-engineered. <laughs> I'm saying it's over-engineered for what it is, and it works, and if you're only willing to spend $175 on a handgun, I would still get a Makarov. A Makarov? Oh, okay. <laughs> $175 yeah. is pretty cheap. I, you know, when I was younger, I really wanted the Tokarev, you know, the Russian World War II pistol. Um, and I, I had one. one. I bought one. When it I was, was younger, miserable. Ryan was like five sitting at home. He's like, you know what? <laughs> I want a Tokarev. <laughs> it was not five. I younger. I was, you know. You were younger. I was, yes, I was younger. But I was like, I don't know, 21, okay. 22, yeah. something So young. Like so young. Um, Just young enough to buy a handgun, but not old enough to know. That's true. Well, so I bought one. I bought a Tokarev, <laughs> and it was awful. It was really heavy, which was fine. And the ergonomics were the worst. I can see why someone would, you know, move to the 1911 off of that design because the Tokarev was based off of the um, 1903, an earlier design that mm-hmm. sort of morphed into the 1911. And the ergonomics were just miserable. You had all sorts of slide bite, uh, but you could get one for three hundred dollars, and they're really durable and they shoot really hot ammunition, but miserable to shoot so i don't think i can go that low i don't care for the makarov i'd probably put my base at somewhere like 375 now you can get a cc 75 for 375 dollars and that's a steal because it's basically you know a browning high power design with the um the what's it called the rails are flipped i, I forget what you call those the inside of the, the frame internal and, internal you. rails yeah yeah so they're the opposite of what you'd find on a high power that's um, fair i mean you can get surplus high powers at that point now too the gun market's actually getting fairly flooded with uh, old surplus at this point. And now that 50 years ago is actually somewhere in what? I, I think, yeah, you're at CNR range. Uh, 50 yeah. years ago puts us at almost uh, 19, in the late 1960s, I believe. Yeah, 60s, 70s. Eh, not oh, 70s God. yet. <laughs> oh, God. Don't worry. We're, we're not there, there yet. <laughs> so the question is, ah, I've got, I've got a question in the same vein for you. Would you take a CZ-75 or a surplus Army 1911? Wow. What year year and pre-B or post-B on the CZ-75? Post-B on the CZ-75, for those of you that don't know, uh, B implies that there's a firing pin block, which, you know, is designed to help prevent an accidental fire when you drop the gun, but it can affect the trigger quality. Sounds important. It's, it is, it's kind of important, but most guns will pass a drop test even without a firing pin block. It's just an added precaution. And with the old trigger system or the new Omega one? 
That would be the other clar- clarifier. Oh. I'll, I'll let you take your pick on that. I'm not sure. I didn't, I didn't think that The new Omega it. system is actually significantly simplified. Like, when you're taking it apart from an armor's perspective, it's not as just a clusterfuck of pins and bullshit. Yeah, before it was, it. like, untenable. You never wanted to open that thing up. Um, yeah, let's say let's say anyway. World War II surplus 1911. Pretty good condition. We'll go post B on the CZ-75, and you can give an answer for both trigger systems, if you like. How's that? Well... Overall, for maintenance and all that stuff, I am just a fan of the 1911. I am still versed in being able to take it apart, put it back together, all from, like, the smallest parts. I'm sure you remember me doing that at the coffee table. I do. Yeah. Uh, Clusterfuck. But still, uh, I would take that over the pre-Omega trigger system one, only for my own purposes of being able to replace parts and do what I want. Okay. Uh, I obviously probably want to replace the sights as we know the mil spec sights from that era were not that great no it was a nice short post setup yeah um how about over the new trigger on the new trigger i might actually opt the cz mostly because in the last five years or so or whenever from that time you took that blackwater course there's been a lot more coverage as far as aftermarket parts goes for the cz and it's just because yeah, before it was like not you couldn't even find holsters for CZs, so it was, it was pretty miserable. Yeah, so I mean, to be fair, from a modern perspective only, like just swapping into the era of the Wonder Nine, like the CZ should win in all accounts. But I just personally like the 1911 a little more. That's fair. So Michael, not to leave you out, no, I know most of your yeah. firearms yeah. experience is video game related, and and I plan on actually talking about firearms and video games at some point. Nice, um, but probably not today. Okay. But you've played World War II shooters. Yeah. All right, so I'll make the question a little easier for you. From what you know of World War II firearms, is there one that you would pick? When was the Deagle invented? It was much much later okay. than that. So that one's that one's crossed off the list. That one's out. Yeah, the okay. Deagle was the gun that won the West. <laughs> <laughs> for those viewers that don't know, the Desert Eagle was not used in the Wild West. Uh, let's see. I don't know. I kind of like a six shooter. Just, just like a you know revolver type, okay. Fan the hammer. Oh, so you're talking like a single action revolver where you have to fan the hammer. Oh, you don't have shot? to, but you can if you'd like to. Just, just for ed- education purposes, a double action revolver means that you can pull the trigger and it's just going to keep shooting. It okay. brings the hammer down and sure. then back up. Okay. A single action revolver means that you have to manually pull down the hammer every time you want to fire gotcha. it. Okay, I go you, double. Uh, action. You left out double the fact action. that the cylinder needs to cycle on a revolver. It was implied, but yes. I just like an intimidate people with like putting one bullet in the chamber, you know, and oh, just okay. rotating it. <laughs> Spinning the cylinder. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Go dirty hairy on people. Okay. That's you, fair. You can get a Nagant revolver and suppress it. One of the few revolvers you can put a suppressor on. Okay. Yeah. I That's, can? Yeah, you can. Sounds good to me. All right. Let's do that. <laughs> Revol- Actually, I don't know how much they cost. They might be within our bottom of the barrel, you know, budget option that we were just discussing. Right, that's why I brought it up. Okay, that's a good choice. Yeah, thank you. Kilroy, any any rifle preference? I mean, what's your what's your bare bottom rifle? Uh, obviously, it's going to end up being an AK because of how cheap those are on the market. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's sort of what I was thinking too. It's just uh, Nagant revolvers are actually going about three fifty, four hundred right now. See, okay, uh, I told you guys that's reasonable. And the CZ seventy five, you know, as a pistol is also like I said, it's it's down to three seventy five. I think a few years ago they were in the five fifty range or so. So 
Yeah, for like new, and like every now and again, people like Aim Surplus and whatnot end up getting their uh, surplus from like random places in Israel who use it as part of their police services. Yeah. Oh, that's an. Uh, I guess Jerichos are too expensive to bring into discussion, but those things are just bricks. You could, <laughs> you know, weigh someone down in the ocean with a Jericho, they'd drown. <laughs> that's not what guns are supposed to be used for. <laughs> yeah. It's a killing tool, but not in the way you think. <laughs> Tie them to their ankles, and off they go. <laughs> off they go. Better than cement shoes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, whatever not Century Arms AK variant that I can get my hands on, hopefully in a caliber that makes sense. Mostly because 5.56 and uh, is significantly wi- more widely available throughout Middle America than it is in some of the more urban areas that do actually stock 7.62 by 39 and 5.45. Yeah. And since that whole political blowout with like the seven and six importation for five four five, it's been a little awkward. Yeah, uh, the the importation of of foreign ammunition and firearms has always been in flux. It seems like we have these like, hey, we've got a ton of Russian ammo, and then like, oh no, we're not getting any more of that. All of a sudden, you should buy all, as much as you can because we're not going to be getting any more. Well, it's not that too. It's just like they target random things that are, you know aesthetically different or just topically like how 7N6 was was banned because it had like you know armor piercing capabilities despite the fact that M855 green tip ball that we use here both in the army and as surplus does the same damn thing with no real difference yeah yeah that's fair and so as far as like the next topic goes um that was something i wanted to touch on just the fact that people are afraid of random aesthetic differences in things and consider them like like weapon camo both... <laughs> yeah yeah exactly that, that, like some people consider that to be somehow functionally different versus aesthetically different well i mean that sort of speaks to you know i'm in california here and and uh most of the firearms restrictions seem to be based on aesthetics the whole assault weapons classification it's mm-hmm. mostly aesthetics related and people have no concept of you know the the function of a firearm so much as they go they look at something and go i've seen that in the movies i've seen it in a video game that's a weapon of war i don't want i don't want regular civilians owning that and they assume hey an ar15 it must be fully automatic it must be deadlier than your you know ruger mini 14 or whatever you can shoot down planes with it (laughs) an ak that's for plane killing Rachel Maddow spreading all the disinformation. Ooh, it, it's just Top crazy to me bullets. how many people think that AR-15s in this country are fully automatic. Honestly, like I've talked to so many people who I thought were at least slightly educated on the topic, and they were just like, "Wait, they're they're not fully automatic." Like, wh- or some people are even like, "What does that mean?" And I'm like, "This is going to be a long conversation," you know? Oh, every time, every time. Every you time. know what you're talking about, though, right? I t- I don't know what I'm t- clearly. I don't know what I'm talking about. I've been told that before, too. I, I clearly am not an expert in the field. I, I know nothing about how this works. Uh, but it's it's a technical issue. Someone posted on Facebook recently, M16 equals AR-15, and the gun industry is responsible for all deaths. I was like, I'm not even going to talk about the whole, you know, banning guns is good versus having guns is good. No, it wasn't a gun control issue. I was just like, M16 does not equal AR-15. This is a factual thing that you, you can go to wikipedia and find out this information i mean it's it's just it's not political it's just a factual thing it's a technical issue 
And this person, I got into an argument with them just saying, like, that's not the same thing. An M16 is fully automatic. A civilian-owned AR-15 is not. And he said, well, the AR-15 is based on the M16. And I go, again, that is a false statement. The AR-15 platform was the basis for the M16's design. So, if anything, mm -hmm. you know, it was preceded by the AR-15. And that type of, of it's not even misinformation, because there's just... They didn't hear it's the wrong thing. They just made up whatever ignorance. they wanted. They didn't even have it's a starting ignorance. point. Yeah, it's just complete mm -hmm. ignorance. Um, and it makes for really frustrating legislation. You know, if, if our legislators were trying to pass bans based on things that were somehow practical, you know? We don't want guns that are, that are able to fire more than one round every five seconds. Okay, well, I can see why you would want something like that. I think it's stupid, but at least there's some logic to it. But banning things because they have a pistol grip. Why? Why? You're just, you're going to inconvenience the, thumb hole the grip stock. angle. Yeah, thumb hole stock. How is that going to make a practical difference? Uh, banning AR-15s, is that going to prevent mass shootings? No, because there are other guns that shoot 5.56, five, you know, with the same ballistics as an AR-15. Mm -hmm. So so what is it that you're preventing here? You're just channeling money to a different company. There's no mm -hmm. practical benefit to that. It's not even gun control. It's just stupidity. <laughs> right and after a certain politics point, it turns politi yeah politics <laughs> yeah where nothing gets done and everything gets banned yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah and like there's a, just a giant laundry list especially like starting from the shoulder thing that goes up all the way out to just the craziness of people who assume that somehow the darker and blacker a rifle is the more deadly it is right if it's black it must be used by the military so what if we just paint all guns pink that makes them safer I'm pretty sure that's how that works. Mm -hmm. You should propose that idea. I think. <laughs> You're right. I, I'll suggest that to our legislators. Um, <laughs> but yet, for that for gun's th friendly. Those those that don't know the barrel or the the thing that goes up, the shoulder thing that goes up, you should Google that. Just you can put barrel shroud. Shoulder in your thing search. that goes up. Google that. Yeah, just Google that. You'll see. It's a hilarious mm -hmm. video. I'm so glad that I live in this state. Um, on the flip side of things, and I don't want to get too far into it. Um, you know, guns are not the only issue that our politicians are completely ignorant about and try to legislate in ways that, that make no sense. What? I know. It's almost like they don't know that much about other things. Uh, Technology is a great example. Um, I've heard some truly stupid opinions about net neutrality and stuff. Encryption. Uh, uh, encryption. Oh, God. Those are always so painful. Back in 2016. Uh, Military-grade encryption. Military-grade, yeah. <laughs> well, it's just as stupid on the tech side of things as it is on the firearm side of things. Military-grade encryption usually means it's only password-protected and the password is saved in a plain text file. Yeah, <laughs> don't worry, it's Some stored on a floppy Some idiot needs disk. it every week. Exactly. <laughs> Military-grade, it's in a drawer on a floppy. You have no computer that can use this. Good luck. <laughs> Super secure. Actually, it's gotten to the point where, you know, the, the government has been storing... I don't want to get too far into this tech discussion, but they've been storing things on ancient systems, and they're saying, oh, we need to upgrade them for security, but it's now gotten to the point where they're so old that it might be more secure to leave them on the old system because it's not internet capable, for example. Until some new airman or whoever is in charge of guarding our nukes sits down with a cup of coffee and a magnet. Yeah, then, then we're all screwed. <laughs> then it's Armageddon. <laughs> That's the way it would happen, too. That, that is the way it would Armageddon. Oops. Ooh, oops. <laughs> Why did you have a magnet? I don't know. <laughs> I just like magnets. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that. You no, know, meeting some of the Air Force people here, I wouldn't put it past them. <laughs> Shots fired. 
They so, uh, they busted a cocaine ring at the DLI inside the Air Force recently. Wow. <laughs> All right, then. Glad to know uh, our military money is going to good use. Cocaine. Cocaine. <laughs> yep. John McAfee, unfortunately, is not the libertarian uh, candidate. <laughs> cocaine 2016. Cocaine 2016. Cocaine and cybersecurity. I mean, at least that's a straightforward political platform that would actually end up with getting stuff done. And mm, depends literally what you nothing get else. Done. If what you want cybersecurity and cocaine. Yeah, that's true. You got my vote. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Michael's going to quietly write in John McAfee for president. <laughs> for life. For life. <laughs> I'm not sure that's does, how the Constitution works. Does he have works. a cult I can sign up for? Is there. <laughs> Is there cocaine at the entrance door? Four more years. Four. <laughs> he starts chanting that even though he hasn't had any years. He hasn't had any okay. years, but you'd like four more of them. <laughs> Who knows how long that guy can stay alive. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Um, I think with that, we're we're going to cut it off. We've, I think we're tapped. I think we're tapped out on, on useful information for this. So, so uh, we'll end it right here. Thanks for joining us on the second Not A Podcast, the Not Operator Podcast. Um, play on words if you can't tell. I got it. <laughs> okay, good. So, anyways, uh, I'm Ryan. I'm Michael. I'm Kilroy. And uh, we'll see you next time. Take it easy. <laughs>